The latest inflation numbers are out, and they show the problem is getting even worse. Is relief from these rising prices anywhere in sight? Inflation is going to keep going higher. <laughs> you know, it may not go to 12%, it may be eventually go to 5%, and then it'll be back at 7% and it'll fluctuate. And, uh, you know, and if it completely goes haywire, you, know, you could go double digits. But until that, that inflationary mindset is broken, the inflation will not seriously go away. It just can't. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, here with an interview on a particularly timely topic for today's investors. Inflation is really starting to bite. The latest consumer price index was released last week, coming out at 6.8%, the highest inflation rate the U.S. has seen in 40 years. Households pinched by these higher prices are asking, when will this stop? Well, not anytime soon, says macro analyst Wolf Richter, who just issued a report warning that getting inflation under control from here will be both a difficult and lengthy process, especially as it's being managed by, quote, the most reckless Fed ever. Wolf, thanks so much for joining us today on such short notice to talk about this. Thanks for having me back, Adam. Hey, it's always a pleasure, Wolf. So, um, you know, in the intro there, I was more diplomatic than you were in your title describing today's situation that your your report uh which i've got here and i'm looking forward to walking through with you is titled whoosh shock and awe dollar shock and awe loss of dollar purchasing power hits americans worst inflation in 40 years getting it under control will be a bitch um i, I want to walk through the, the many charts that you've gotten there because i think they're really useful in helping people understanding just sort of how intense things are, are raging right now. But before we do, for those who haven't been paying as close attention as you and I to the situation, can you just give a quick summary of how we got here? Yeah, so I think there, uh, there, there's a fundamental issue here, and that is that after uh, 10 years of, of interest rate repression and, and many years of those 10 years of, of money printing, there really hasn't been a lot of inflation. And in Japan, it's been 20 years of 0% interest rates and, and lots of money printing, and there hasn't been a lot of inflation. And the same thing happened in Europe. They started money printing and repressing interest rates and negative. And there wasn't a lot of inflation. And so this gave central bankers, especially the Fed, the, the false confidence that they could print $4.5 trillion in 20 months and repress interest rates to zero. And at the same time, the government spends you know, $5 trillion in deficit uh, in borrowed money. And so you have this $10 trillion of stimulus in the United States. And there was this false confidence that inflation wouldn't, uh, wouldn't react, the prices wouldn't react to it as kind of that they expected us to go forward like it had been in the past 10 years. And, and uh, something fundamentally changed and it broke that dam. And now suddenly prices all along, all over the place across the world are, are surging more or less fast. You know, in some countries a lot faster than in others. Uh, the United States is, it has now a higher inflation rate than Mexico. So, I mean, these are, uh, yeah, these are issues that nobody, none of the standard economists expected uh, to have a year ago. And, uh, you know, I've been saying for years, it's, at some point, you, you can't print money like this forever. But this is the situation we now have as a dam that broke and something fundamentally changed. 
And now we have this enormous amount of stimulus that is creating an enormous amount of inflation. And I think that's the, uh, that's the situation roughly uh, we're looking at everybody's surprised. Now the Fed surprised uh, by this and the Fed has been incredibly reckless in ignoring uh, the past 12 months of inflation and uh, continuing to fuel the fire with money printing and interest rate repression. Okay, thanks. And it's funny you say everyone's surprised. I don't necessarily think guys like you and I are surprised or probably many people who, who watch the Wealthy on channel. Uh, we were the ones who were watching the trillions and trillions of dollars getting pumped out both by the Fed in monetary stimulus and then by Congress uh, issuing even more than that in fiscal stimulus um, over the past 18 months. I think we we were worried that something like this might happen, but but it's happened. The inflation genie is now out of the bottle, as you said. Um, so let's dial through your charts here um, and uh, then we'll get to your final conclusion as to why all the data we're seeing you know, in your eyes, it, it's something that's not going to be able to be, you know, um, uh, resolved anytime soon. Because um, I think a lot of people are, you know, wrestling with that question is, hey, you know, gosh, I hope this isn't going to last very long. Sadly, I think it looks like it, it, it very well may be something that's going to be with us certainly through 2022 and maybe a little bit beyond. Let, let's start here by putting up just the, the CPI numbers that I mentioned at the start. Um, latest print is at 6.8%. Uh, and you can see here from the chart that that, uh, that height hadn't been reached since 1982. So it's really been a full 40 years since we've inflation seen inflation rising uh, this high. But you mentioned it's sort of different this time because in 1982, um, uh, the Fed was was tightening rates, um, you know, interest rates, I think we're still at like 13% back then where today they're pretty much close to zero. Um, and inflation is on the rise here. It's, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're still probably in the process of the surge. So how is today different and maybe in, in worse ways than it was 40 years ago when we were at the same level? Yeah. So 40 years ago was the, the down phase of that inflation spike that had started in the 1970s. So yeah, there we're looking at, at roughly a 10 year surge in inflation. And in, so 40 years ago, we were on the downward leg of it when after Volcker had already uh, raised interest rates, interest rates were, were coming down at that time. He'd raised them you know, close to 20%. And, and, uh, and then by, by 1982, it, it cut them. And, but there were still at, at uh, like 13, 14% in that time period. So there were very high and there was no money printing going on. Uh, you know, now we have, and, and so the real interest rates were positive across the spectrum 40 years ago. I mean, there were higher, interest rates were higher than the inflation rate. Now we've got, uh, yeah, close to record low uh, uh, interest rates or record low interest rates and this huge inflation. So we, we've got this enormous amount of real uh, uh, negative interest rates. And yeah, that's incredibly stimulative. And what we had in 1982, they were cracking down on inflation still. What we got now is incredibly stimulative still. We're on the upward leg of this thing and they're still stimulating. So there's a huge difference between these, these two scenarios. You know, we're, we're kind of now where we were maybe in the 1970s, you know, and on the way up. And uh, even then, though, you know, interest rates were always much higher in the 1970s. They were never zero percent. And uh, long term rates were much higher. And it, it, it never had this kind of distortion that we, we now have. 
Yeah, your your note here mentions that pretty much all interest rates and yields right now are negative, even on junk bonds, right? Which you know should have the highest rates because they're the riskiest, but their real rates when you you know subtract the inflation rate from them are still negative, which is kind of mind blowing in a lot of ways. Um, also, too, just to your underscore your point about you know we're still stimulating. You know we're hearing the Fed talk about getting more aggressive and accelerating its taper plans. And there's chatter about, you know, are there going to be interest rates, hikes, perhaps maybe, you know, in late 2022 or maybe 2023. But right now, the Fed is still pumping a bunch of money into the system. I think in the mid-November through mid-December timeframe, they're, they're putting what? Something like $105 billion they're still conducting in asset purchases? Yes. And uh, so... Yeah, tapering is not tightening. Tapering is uh, reducing the amount of fuel you're throwing on the fire, but you're still, like you said, you're still throwing this fuel on the fire. And, and you know, it's just reckless. And, you know, 0% interest rates when inflation is near 7% is, is incredibly uh, inflationary and incredibly stimulative. So you have both these factors and the Fed isn't even discussing raising rates yet. I mean, they're going to do it, but that's yeah. Maybe at this meeting they'll they'll uh, uh, they'll come out with with some guidance on rates. But they so far they've said no. We're not going to even talk about it. It's too early to talk about raising rates, you know. And 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 so yeah. I mean, they're 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 going to reduce the amount of fuel they're throwing on the fire uh, by uh, a a larger amount than they had previously said, but they're still throwing fuel on the fire. <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. You're, you're talking about how the fire you've made is too big, but you're still tossing logs on it while you're <laughs> making that claim. All right, I want to put up a chart here now of uh, CPIW, which is the Consumer Price Index for All Urban Wage Earners and Clerical Workers. Uh, it's, a, it's another way to measure um, you know, the inflation rate. Um, but what's material about this one is... This is what uh, the social security uh, cost of living adjustments are based off of. And this is even higher than the 6.8% uh, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, this is at 7.6%. Um, you note here in your report too, that this is exceeding even Mexico's soaring inflation rate, which you know that's, that's not company you wanna be in from an inflation standpoint. Um, but how significant is this in the fact that this is actually the benchmark by which COLA adjustments are made by? Yeah, so the COLA adjustments are made based on the average in the third quarter. And uh, we had uh, the largest COLA adjustment in decades uh, this third quarter, but they're already outrun by this inflation by full percentage point. So uh, the COLA adjustment for next year was fixed in the third quarter. So next year's third quarter of CPIW will fix the COLAs for the following year. And the thing is, you know, the, these cola adjustments on the way up, I mean, they, they seem to be big, but by the time they're implemented, they're already behind, you know, and, and retirees are, are already getting whacked by this inflation uh, to a, a very significant extent and future retirees too, because this is cumulative. Now, this is social security, cola adjustments are, are changing all future payments for everybody. So even people who are just now paying into the system and uh, CPIW, I, I actually think that's a better indicator than the CPIU, the headline indicator. Uh, it's, you know, and it, it shows a little bit more realistically because CPI is still understated by many factors that we go through, you know. And, and so it, it uh, you know, the actual inflation that 
personally, people feel could be far higher than than what any of these CPI numbers are saying. So you know, this it's just an it's another official uh, inflation statistic that is a little bit more realistic, I think, than than the headline CPI you figure. Okay, and and I do want to dial through those those indicators that suggest that the reality people are experiencing may indeed be worse than just these numbers. Um, so just want to revisit one point you made here, because I think it's really important, um, especially because we have a lot of people who are retirement age or getting close to it who watch these videos. Um, you know, the Fed policy to date has really punished these people already because low interest rates have basically made it impossible to retire on a fixed income the way that previous generation of retirees did, right? You know, when bonds are yielding next to nothing, when you're getting nothing in, in your bank savings, um, you, you can't retire the way that people were planning on. Um, but then inflation is a twin uh, insult on top of that, because, you know, even the little bit that you have, uh, it's you're getting in yield. Uh, it eats away at the purchasing power of, of that money. Um, and therefore, all of a sudden, you need a lot more to retire than, than you thought you needed to. Right. So it's a big, big issue. Um, I'm going to put up another chart that you mentioned here. Um, it's the core CPIU, uh, which basically, you know, takes out food and energy. And of course, we we like to laugh when they do that because they sort of imply that, well, you know, we're all doing fine except for food and energy costs. And it's like, yeah, but we need those to live. Right. Um, but I think what you're what you're making here with this chart is, you know, this chart also shows a big spike. Um, it's now spiked up to almost five percent. Um, uh, you're saying that this is showing that inflation is beginning to creep out of just essential goods and into services as well, which is sort of an indicator, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's sort of an indicator that inflation is kind of getting out into the full system, right? So you could, you could sort of hide behind, hey, we have these, um, you know, near-term short-lived breakages and in, in supply chains, and once they come down, goods will get cheaper again, maybe. Um, but if we see it going into services, that's not dependent upon supply chain. That's just becoming sort of, uh, you know, intransient, uh, permanent type of inflation. Is that all correct? Yeah. So uh, the services uh, segment of inflation is is the larger part of the CPI, and a third of CPI is uh, a housing component that is based on rents, and. Uh, and they're using two different rent uh, approaches to figure the cost of home ownership and then to figure the cost of renting. And we have all known, you know, that housing house prices have shot up. There, Kaysilo says they're up twenty percent and uh, year over year. And and rents are by other measures. So this is asking rents will be up ten uh, percent, roughly eleven percent year over year depending on, uh, in, some, in, in some cities, they're up a lot less, but in others, they're up 20, 25%, yeah. And uh, so these figures are, are slow in making it into the CPI calculations for, the, the, how, for how the, the, the CPI is constructed, the types of service that they're services that, uh, service surveys that they're using for that. And, and, uh, and these are huge surveys and they have a panel of households uh, that are asked twice a year, and these these same households get the question twice a year. So it rotates through, and and it takes months to catch up. Well, they started to rise in the CPI, and they're still very low. They're still at three three and a half percent. So they're actually lowering 
the CPI, but they're surging, they're going up now. And we'll see them go up next year as they're catching up with the reality. And so we'll see these housing components uh, go to five, six, seven percent next year and, and maybe higher. You know, and that's at one third of CPI. And in reality, you know, we're looking at rents that are increasing faster and house prices are increasing faster. So it's just now catching up. But these have been in the past few months, these these figures, these housing components have repressed CPI and they're stopped. They're going to stop doing that. And they're they're going to, to hit you know, these new highs that we're seeing. And yeah, so this is one third of CPI that we're now that is now waking up. And um, it, and just the way it's structured, we know already, regardless of what happens in the market, we know already that in the first half of next year, those numbers are going to search based on what happened so far this year. So, um, you know, there, this has nothing to do with uh, supply chains and bottlenecks and uh, transportation problems and, and uh, port uh, entanglements, you know, this is just pure services. We have seen this in numerous other services and services I'm looking at from my other company, everything is up by the double digits. You know, these are just services not involving any goods. Uh, many other businesses are seeing that, consumers are seeing it. Uh, you know, so uh, we've got, yeah, Medicare Part B premiums, that's a service, you know, that went up 17, 18% year over year for next year. So, I mean, it's going on everywhere. These are services, you know, nothing to do with supply chains and, and bottlenecks. All right. So, you know, kind of punchline inflation's becoming pervasive and sticky, right? Um, so, you know, big concern to everybody. Um, it's not just coming in real estate, but I do want to reemphasize your point there that to date in the CPI numbers, as largely as they've spiked recently, real estate's actually been a drag on that CPI number. And you're saying it's about to flip to, instead of being a drag, it's gonna start pushing it even higher. So, you know, concerning. Um, let's go to some of the other things that you said, you know, you, you, you're saying, look, this is, we, we, you look under the hood, it looks even worse, right? So food costs, um, they are up uh, over 6% year over year. Looks like the CPI for meats has jumped by 16%. And I think anybody shopping, who's who, anybody watching this has gone to the store to buy food. They've, they've seen in many cases this, you know, I would say on for me, on at least it's on average, it's a double digit increase. I think it's higher than the yeah. 6%, at least for my family's household budgets. Um, the big one though is energy costs, right? So um, that is up 33% over year over year in aggregate, but uh, gasoline is up almost 60% year over year, which, you know, is pretty massive. Um, and for, you know, people that have to commute for a living like that really does pinch household budgets. Um, natural gas to the home is up 25% year over year. So, I mean, these are real essential inputs in people's lifestyles that are going up by, you know, relatively material high double digits. I don't know too many households before you know, COVID hit that could absorb these types of prices. Uh, and uh, as you said, you know, these don't look like they're going to be slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, we complain about gasoline prices and oil prices, but oil has actually, is pretty cheap still, you know um, it's, it's not the crude oil prices that are, are pushing up gasoline prices. Now crude oil is, is, you know, is where it's been a few, a couple of years ago. It, 
it, it hasn't, it used to be $150 a barrel for West Texas and the media, you know, during the last uh, surge of inflation in, in 2008. And uh, in now we're looking at in the $70 range. And, and uh, so that's really, it's pretty cheap. It's, it's the level where uh, 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 frackers in the United States can barely make money. I mean, it's they're starting to be profitable at that rate. Uh, what has happened is that uh, the the entire chain between uh, crude oil uh, wells and 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 uh, gas pumps uh, is is reaping massive profits out of this. So it's the refiners and the distribution channel, the retailers and, and all those. And uh, this is what we've seen everywhere. Everybody's raising prices and they're getting away with it. And that's a big uh, change in the mindset. And uh, so now we've got incredibly profitable. Uh, uh, middlemen there, and we we've seen the same thing in 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 with beef, for example. The meat packers have historic profit margins now because they're getting away with it. People, consumers are paying those prices. That's the mindset mindset we've had. That's the dam that broke uh, that I was talking about earlier. Uh, yeah, there people are still buying meat at those prices. They're still getting gasoline at those prices. Of course, gasoline is not a discretionary purchase. You know, you can buy. Uh, you can become vegetarian and not buy meat, but you, you, if you commute, you're going to have to buy gasoline, and so this is a this is a bigger issue. But yeah, even now, gasoline is uh, on a long term scale. You know, it's it's below where it was ten years ago, and uh, so those prices could go much higher. You know, this is not like a a price spike like we've seen in lumber or other things. You know, oil hasn't gone up that much. Yeah, oil is still fairly low and. And uh, gasoline prices are still below where they were ten years ago. So it, it you know, we we uh, we got to keep in mind that this is not some historic price spike. Yeah, you know, this gasoline is, you know, that that can go higher. That can go a lot higher. And and I'm not saying it will. You know, this is this is kind of a one of those commodities where, um, you know, where there's a lot of supply that can come out of the woodwork very quickly, and we'll have to see how that turns out. But the crude oil is. The fact that it's not expensive, you know, that you're talking about uh, the middleman making the profit and the middleman contributing to inflation, you know, that's a different issue than than a commodity price. You know, now this is this is a service providers, you know, that the, the refiners and the retailers and the um, and, and and the channels in between, you know, that uh, that are triggering this inflation in gasoline prices. So this, yeah, this, this is a different issue and. And we've seen that all across now that there, there's just no price resistance. Nobody's fighting back. Everybody's just paying. Well, and, and I want to get to this more deeply in just a moment here. But the danger here, right, is that people adopt an inflationary mindset, right, which says I should I should. Well, let me do this. I'm going to put up a chart here uh, from your report that shows the decline in the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar since the year 2000. And it's lost. You know, basically, a, 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 a dollar purchasing power back then uh, only buys you about sixty-one cents uh, today. So, um, uh, the the challenge with inflation, the danger of inflation, is that people begin to sort of lose confidence in the currency, and they develop this inflationary mindset where I better buy everything today because my dollars are going to be worthless in the future going forward. Of course, that that's the the, the big main, uh, you know factor in a hyperinflation is that people just can't get rid of their currency fast enough and it creates this vicious spiral. 
I don't know if we're exactly there yet, but but that is part of the concern here, right? Is that that people are adopting an inflationary mindset? They're thinking, just like Powell, huh, I guess it's not going to be transitory, and therefore I better buy today versus buying tomorrow. Correct? Right, and we've seen this in the housing market. Yeah, you know, we've seen it now, and. And uh, in the vehicle market, new and used vehicles, I mean, this is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And, and it's just completely nuts what's happening there. And, and, and people go with it. I mean, that's the thing. You know, they don't have to buy a car. You know, they can just wait a year, drive what they have. And, and, but they're not. You know, they want to buy now and, and so that they don't have to pay the higher price six months from now. And uh, th- th- exactly like you said, it's inflationary mindset has completely changed. Now, gasoline is non-discretionary and people are sort of forced uh, uh, to, to pay for it and they can't really hoard it. So this is a little bit of a different ballgame there. But the discretionary purchases are where we're seeing this. And you know, a lot of services are discretionary and people are paying for it. And, um, you know, it, uh, it's yeah, it's exactly that is a change in mindset. And. You know, it, it will impact anything. You know, this will this will bleed through. Right. And it's funny because sort of fear of higher prices tomorrow in many ways kind of creates higher prices tomorrow by people rushing in today and jacking prices up. Right. And you mentioned the audio industry, auto industry. I just want to put up the two charts that you had in your your report, because I think they make the point uh, very effectively. Um, the new vehicle price uh, has spiked. It's now up. Um, uh, over 11% year over year. Um, that's that's the highest it's been since 1975. And people watching this, there are folks that remember the inflation back then to the mid 70s. Um, but gosh, that pales in comparison to looking at the prices of used cars. Um, they're up 44% from a year ago. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just a mind boggling increase in for a product like this, especially as you're saying, you know, people could wait. Now, of course, this is this is exacerbated by the supply chain issue. You know, we had you on a few months back talking about um, the impact of the bottlenecks. And of course, the auto industry has been hit particularly hard by the, the chip shortage um, because today's cars rely on a whole bunch of different chips for a whole bunch of different functions. And those chips come from different vendors. So it's a very complex issue. But, uh, but I got to say, looking at that 45% price spike, I mean, that's just nuts. So um, I guess... Coming to the end of, of your overall report here, um, Wolf was saying that, you know, to use your, your words from the title, like this is going to be a bitch to get under control, right? We have, um, we, we, we have the Fed running this, which you call the most reckless Fed ever. And I want to let you opine over that in just a moment. Um, but, but as I see it, there's sort of two factors at play here. Um, there is really a, 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 there's a policy side. Right. We can say, look, this is, you know, a lot of this inflation was caused by the policies of the Fed issuing too much monetary stimulus and then Congress issuing, you know, even more fiscal stimulus at the same time. So flooding money into the system. But we also do have a supply issue. We've got some short term supply issues created by the supply chain breakages. Um, but we also have a lot of these industries that have been underinvested in CapEx. And, you know, Rick Rule talked a lot about this, saying that, uh, you know, um, he foresees a number of kind of core commodities uh, going up substantially in price, even if demand doesn't really change very much going forward, just because those industries have been so CapEx starved that uh, there's just going to be less of this stuff around. So 
um, to me, that does sort of set a landscape of really, you know, concerning and potentially intractable inflation, you know, for a while. Um, anyways, I'm going to hand the football back to you, but, but explain in your eyes why this is going to be so hard to undo. Yeah, uh, this is going to be a very tough job uh, for, for, the, for the country, really. I mean, that's what I mean by this is going to be a bitch. Uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be hard to do because the thing that the Fed will have to do is uh, to break the inflationary mindset. And it has to credibly come forward and say, we're going to raise rates and we're going to run off our balance sheet uh, until uh, we get this inflation down. And the way you get inflation down is to, uh, to reduce demand and reduce demand far enough to where everybody realizes, okay, I can't raise my prices anymore because people aren't buying anymore. You know, I have to stop raising prices and, uh, and people have to refuse to buy at higher prices. You know, so uh, you have to make it more expensive to purchase on credit. You have to sap the confidence of businesses and uh, individuals in, in, in this inflationary trend, you know, the, the, People, businesses and consumers have to believe that next year things are going to be no more expensive than this year or maybe cheaper. And I better I better step back and better not buy and I better not consume. And that's what brings inflation down. But this is a bitch. You know, this is hard to do because uh, you're looking at a recession. You know, that's that's when you have a really big bite about of inflation. Um, that's how you deal with it. And in the past, before we had way past and before we had central banks, that's what naturally happened. So there was a natural business cycle and there were excesses and there were inflation uh, uh, processes on the way. And, and, uh, and then the business cycle would turn and, and you know, and it, the credit would get more expensive and businesses would go bankrupt and, and, you know, the investors would lose some money and that that would get restructured and demand would go down a little bit and then inflation would disappear. And uh, this cycle has uh, has to play out for inflation to, to go away. And Volcker did that. He triggered the double dip inflation, uh, the recession, and, and it broke the back of inflation for 40 years. <laughs> you know, that, that's what that accomplished because people were off the, the had the confidence that inflation would not be an issue and that next year goods would be just a little bit higher than this year and there was no sense in, in, in binge purchasing. And, uh, and if, price, if a company tried to raise prices, you go somewhere else and you shop somewhere else. And, and you, be, you get this, this price conscious mindset that blocks inflation from, from going up. And uh, right now this has just completely gone away and, and so, to reestablish that inflation, to, to, to break that inflation in their mindset and to reestablish the price consciousness that businesses and, and consumers used to have, yeah, that's that's not automatic. And that will that's what is what is needed to 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 get this inflation under control. And all the stimulus, what, what it did was it created this huge amount of demand. And uh, when there were yeah, normal supply chains, uh, they weren't ready to deal with this demand. And that was the that was a one-time event, but that broke the dam. That was what what finally changed the mindset, you know, and, and we've seen that now. So we've seen the results. Now it's a psychological issue. And uh, it's not a, a supply chain issue anymore. You know, if people got went on a buyer strike and refused to buy vehicles, which they did during the Great Recession, 
suddenly the car dealer lots are filling up with cars and and they're starting to have to offer discounts and and you know back then the industry collapsed because re consumers refused to buy cars for several years in a row and uh you know now we have the opposite and you know the the, the fed needs to uh you know get back to this uh this Volcker philosophy that it's you need to break that inflationary mindset. You know, you need to have uh, consumers and businesses resist price increases. And that's what finally gets inflation under control. And, and consumers and businesses will have to say, no, I'm not buying this at this price. Uh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to look for a cheaper competitor. Uh, you know, and, and then there is price resistance in the system. And then you get inflation coming down until that happens. I, I, inflation is going to keep going higher. <laughs> you know, it may not go to 12%. It may be eventually go to 5% and then it'll be back at 7% and it'll fluctuate. And, uh, you know, and if it completely goes haywire, you, know, you could go double digits. But until that, that inflationary mindset is broken, the inflation will not seriously go away. It just can't. Okay, so here's where it gets really interesting. So we know what we need to do to break that mindset and to, to get inflation under control. And there's a Volcker, you know, rule book for that. The question is, is can we, right? So um, look, it, you know, the administration's finally woken up to this. This is becoming a big political issue for them. 2020 is an election year. Uh, a ABC Ipsos poll came out yesterday that showed that 69% uh, of, of voters disapprove with how the Biden administration is handling inflation. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why the Fed is now talking so much about accelerating the taper and maybe rate hikes is they're getting a lot of political pressure to get this under control, right? But we have financial markets that are completely addicted to low rates and tons of stimulus entering the system. And so, uh, you know, reversing course, like the Fed's not talking about, that could puncture this asset bubble we have here, right? We also have a record number of um, leverage in the system, right? So higher rates alone could start killing a ton of companies that can't afford their debt services at, at much higher rates than we are today, right? And that triggers the recession that you mentioned, which has job layoffs, right? Which just uh, exacerbates uh, the, the, the pain that, that people feel. Right, so um, we know we need that tough medicine, but the system is so unstable right now, a lot of people balk at the, the cost of what that medicine would wreak across the system. And we saw, you know, the Fed tried to get serious about tightening briefly back at the end of 2019. And then we had the infamous Powell pivot, right? When the markets threw a hissy fit and he just, he, he just reversed course. Can the Fed stick to it this time or will the pain of the taper slash tightening be so much that the Fed is really, I don't know, stuck stuck in a position where it's got to deal with inflation, but it doesn't want to break the system and doesn't know what to do. And so the amazing thing with the labor market is that we have these huge labor shortages right now. And there's lots of people here in the United States that used to work, that could work, were not working. So uh, companies cannot fill vacant positions. There's 11 million open positions in the United States right now. And uh, a historic number. And so when demand goes down a little bit, uh, yeah, enough to eventually cool inflation, we're not talking about a collapse in demand. We're talking about yeah, just demand tapering off a little bit. Uh, yeah, that means that the labor shortages uh, might just become a little smaller 
Yeah, nobody's talking layoffs right now. I mean, they're looking for they're looking to fill 11 million jobs. Yeah. So when businesses are saying, okay, we don't really need so one business says we need 100 people. But if demand goes down a little bit, they might not need 100 people. They might only need 50 people. And so, yeah, the, the job openings might go back to some kind of normal level if demand goes down rather than being at this extraordinary high level. Also, you know, a lot of people are not going back to work because they made tons of money in cryptos and in stocks and in real estate. And they're just resting on their laurels and they expect to make, you know, 50, 100 percent next year and all years in the future. And and so there's no logical reason for them to go back uh, uh, to work. And we've seen that in 1999. And I was part of that group, you know, and at least I traveled around the world for three years, you know. Uh, but uh when the market crashes, so the NASDAQ back then went down 78% and the SP 500 went down 50%. When all those people that were uh, you know, enjoying or spending more time with their the, the, the day trading activities, they weren't trying that. You know, they lost a ton of money, they lost everything they had, and they went back to the workforce. And, uh, and now we have a lot more of that. We have bigger bubbles. We have the crypto bubble. You know, there is, there's a couple of trillion dollars involved in that. And we've got a whole bunch of other things that, that have uh, supported people who don't want to work anymore. And, and so when these, these uh, asset bubbles go away, uh, what you will see is that, that some of the smartest people out there are rejoining the workforce. And that's a good thing. You know, they've, they've exited the labor force because they didn't th think they needed to. Uh, to work and and uh, and when the asset bubbles come down, you know that that brings these people back into the labor force, which will be a great thing for the U.S. economy uh, to get these people back to to uh, do productive stuff. And you know, my recommendation for Powell would be: if he really needs to fix the economy, he needs to crash the markets so that people. Uh, who decided to ride up the, 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 the bubble, you know, that they go back to work and do productive things and uh, help uh, create more employment by, by working and, you know, bring, bring the downtowns back to life and those kinds of things. You know, we've, we've got a lot of opportunities here to, to get this fixed. And I don't think a recession in terms of lowering demand will, will necessarily create a lot of unemployment because we've got this huge labor shortage. I mean, it takes a, a lot of reduction of demand uh, to eat through that labor shortage first. And uh, we also have production issues, you know, because of this labor shortage, if you want to get the supply chain working again, you know, you need to bring everybody back to work. And, and so, you know, the, 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 asset bubble has completely distorted the US economy. And it's, it's really very helpful, I think, to, to go back to some kind of uh, uh, normal, you know, in terms of uh, people working for a living and, and uh, yeah, asset prices being somewhere reasonable and, uh, and people not counting on next year making 100% on their cryptos, you know, but using their, their brains to, to accomplish something real. And, you know, I, so I think all of these things are good things. Now, there, there'll be investors who lose a lot of money and, you know, bond investors. Uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about credit risk right now because uh, a lot of these companies have refinanced the debts. And so there's a maturity wall. So when these debts mature, but it's been pushed way out. So now during this low interest rate uh, era, you know, so we're not looking at massive numbers of companies that have to refinance massive numbers of debts over the next year or two. Yeah, they're they're looking at five, six, seven years down the road. So uh, we'll be through that rough spot by the time they have to refinance 
the debts. And that's an issue, you know, that's an issue uh, in other economies, but but in this economy here with zero interest rates, you know, so long, everybody's uh, borrowed for as long as possible, refinanced the debts and stuff. So, um, you know, that's much smaller of an issue than it was. At the same time, there will be restructurings and, you know, that's bondholders that are uh, uh, losing their money and, and, and equity holders. And that's okay. You know, that's what happens. You get paid to take those risks and then, you know, there's a payday at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think uh, people have become so accustomed to the Fed put that uh, I think many of them just don't believe that that they could actually take losses like that. But, you know, you and I think share the same mindset. Anything that gets us back to return to freer and fairer and, and more rationally priced markets is a good thing. Anything that puts, you know, uh, the U.S., uh, you know, gets U.S. resources working towards true productivity uh, is a good thing. Um, so anyways, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your answer because, you know, the way I look at it is, um, is to really deal with the inflation that we've been worried about for such a long time, um, the Fed is going to have to pump the brakes. That is going to depress um, asset prices in these overvalued markets, um, and it is going to impact the economy. Um, you know, my concern is that uh, it might be a really big market correction, um, which could then trigger a large recession. And you have these over leveraged country companies that we talked about, higher interest rates might cause a number of them to go out of business, which may create a workforce shrinkage right when a bunch of people are trying to come back to work. Um, sounds like you're not quite as worried as I, so it's nice to hear that optimism. And while the poor worker has been a long sufferer in this in this journey over the past number of decades, um, you know, if that indeed does happen where people are going back to work and kind of competing harder for those jobs, that should reduce wage price inflation pressures, um, which isn't necessarily great for the worker, but it should take some of the steam off of, of, of the overall inflation rate. So, so many interesting cross currents going on here. Um, Wolf, as we wrap up here for, you know, folks that are watching that are just trying to navigate, you know, what we're going through here, do you have any general advice for watchers in terms of how they can hopefully make themselves a little bit less vulnerable to the implications of this higher inflation you see? Yeah, I think this is a really a good time to dial back on risk. Uh, and uh, I really don't like bonds <laughs> right now. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, the yields are so low, so you're not making any money and you have a huge uh, problem with bonds when rates go up, because that's when bond prices go down. And uh, so you're, I mean, that's uh, where the bond vigilantes came out of uh, during the uh, run-up in inflation in the 1970s. You know, they, the bondholders just got hammered, you know, by relatively low yields and relatively high inflation. And then when, when the yields turned around, you know, when, when actually inflation got vanquished and, and re reduced, the bondholders said, no, forget it. <laughs> we're not playing this game. You know, we're going to, we're, we're going to keep prices high and, and I'm mean, keep yields high and prices low in those bonds. And, and that's the so-called bond vigilantes, you know, that got burned for 10 years and uh, those bondholders. And then they, that got really upset and, and didn't play the game anymore for a long time. You know, and this is what we're going to run into again this year. I think there'll be many years when bondholders will just get burned year after year after year. It'll be just a really, um, 
by inflation, you know, by, by higher yields, which, which cause prices to go down, and by yields that are still below the rate of inflation. Uh, so, you know, I, when I say back off of risk, I don't mean go to bonds. <laughs> that's, that's uh, you yeah, know, long-term bonds are very risky in this kind of environment. Yeah, let me just dig into that just a tiny bit more. So back off of risk, um, you know, the easiest way to do that is just, you know, sell some of your market exposure and just sit in cash. Obviously, people then worry about being in cash in an inflationary regime and having the purchase power eroded from that. Um, so I guess two questions. One, thoughts on cash? And two, are there any general asset classes that you think might perform favorably or at least favorably on a relative basis in this, this market environment? Yeah, so I mean, it's true that holding cash uh, loses you, you know, six percent, seven percent, eight percent a year. But you got to also remember that uh, if you hold any other asset denominated in dollars, you know, you you're going to lose the same amount, but uh, you might make some return on that asset. So you're hoping to make a return to make up for the loss in purchasing power of that asset. So uh, that works if if there's a return, but if there's no return, you know, you're holding cash, you're losing 6%, you're holding stocks and they're going down 50%. Well, now you lost 50% plus, <laughs> you know, the loss of the purchasing power. So, um, you know, that's the risk, the same with bonds, you know, and the same with with real estate and all the others. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the problem is that the purchasing power loss is spread across all assets. And it's, it's additive if the asset itself loses value. So that's, you have two risks there. Uh, the thing is that in an inflationary environment, if it's just inflation, you know, housing and stocks are, are not bad. Yeah, they're pretty good investments generally. But when you have a crackdown on inflation, uh, those two classes turn really sour. And, and, and very quickly, you know, when you have interest rates that are going up and uh, when, when liquidity is thrown out of the market, um, yeah, both those asset classes are are tough, and uh, so this hedge, looking for the hedge of yeah, the hedge against inflation, that gets very tough in an environment where interest rates are going up and where the where the Fed is starting to crack down on inflation. Now, I I don't know that there is really a a, a, a surefire good option out of this. I mean, if the if the Fed refused to do anything about it, just sit on its hand forever, I would say stocks and real estate probably are. Are probably a place to be, but the Fed is cracking down. I mean, they're getting very nervous down the political pressure to crack down, and um, and they see they see what's going on now. Yeah, so I don't think that option of the Fed not doing anything is there. Uh, and you know, I I think cash is probably. Uh, I mean, people talk about gold, and gold has held up reasonably well. It's had a great run over the past few years. You know, uh, it. You know, I'm not a fan of gold at this price. Uh, I'm not a fan of cryptos at all. I mean, Bitcoin's already down 25 plus percent over the last month. So that's not a hedge against inflation. So you're looking at all these different asset classes and, and you know, it's, it's, it's just a nasty place to be right now. All right. Well, I hate to end on, uh, on that note, but I think you're just giving, you know, the realist view right now in terms of where we are in the current situation. So, well, for folks that want to, uh, so first, thanks for coming on. I want to have you back on again periodically to check in on this as the road becomes a little clearer to us as we get a little bit further down it. But for folks that have enjoyed 
listening to you today and would like to follow your thoughts on a regular basis, where can they go to follow you? Wolfstreet.com. Everything is free, no paywall. So just come on by. All finance and economics, no politics. All right, great. And I'll put the URL to your website over the screen here when we edit this. Wolf, thanks so much for coming on. Look forward to having you back on again soon. Thank you, Adam. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion with macro analyst Wolf Richter. As he and I mentioned, it's an incredibly treacherous time for individual investors right now. So if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the risks that Wolf has highlighted here, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. And if you'd like to see more great experts like Wolf on this program, please just take two seconds to support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. Thanks for doing that, and thanks for watching.